host Mike and Richard welcome you to the show This won't be very pleasant you should probably know This is development hell So don't be surprised if you don't feel well That worked out great Guys welcome to development hell we are one of four podcasts created last year that chronicles the bumpy road that truly is the pass-fail industry known as entertainment. Movies, music, movies, games, television, movies, theater, and literature, they all have a story to tell. I'm Spike Kittrell, and I'm joined by Richard Humphrey and Kyle Anderson. We go to hell so you don't have to. I realized yeah. halfway through this is the old intro. <laughs> it's a good intro. We're about to unleash knowledge like... A waterfall operated by big titty queens <laughs> onto all of all of you citizens of the Citadel with little tiny pocket-sized brothers. Oh, dude! I, I tried to explain this movie to Gina. I had to take a moment and be like, and also they—they're all his sons, so they all call him Daddy. Oh, that's right. not his brother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like a movie that every character is like drawn. Like you, if you drew, if it was a cartoon, they, because it's like about shapes, like every character is a different shape, not size. Every character is very visceral. It's very like like, immediate. It's very like like red line or like in Mm. red line, everybody, everything was a drawing, you know, like everybody is their own piece. Like one, one interesting thing I read about like red while my 45 minute deep dive into trying to figure out why Nux says McFeasting mm-hmm. in Valhalla. And he's like, bah, 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 bah. Uh, McFeasting. McFeasting. Um, I, I love all the world building with the Warboys. I think they're so yes. fucking cool. Well, um, like one of the coolest factions that doesn't need it, that doesn't have like a 10 minute explainer scene mm-hmm. of like, you see the war boys chrome themselves before they go to Valhalla. Right. One last rock. Like nobody but- does that. And it's fucking fantastic. But he said in the, in like, uh, in these pieces, like in these like interview pieces that I saw that he was like every piece of armor, every weapon, Every guy, every girl you see has a full backstory that I've fleshed out. Well, let me let's jump obviously from the title. The ultimate dungeon master of this. Yeah, episode, he's the ultimate dungeon master. We are talking F- Mad Max Fury Road. We are keeping Go Fast Month alive. <laughs> go fast do now. Months. What a so, like, so this go fast to be slowest. I know slowest <laughs> releases. <laughs> Look, these movies were so fast. They overheated the engine. We had to yeah, cool down a, in we a were bog. Overwhelmed, guys. We were we were trying to we were trying to hitch around a tree. All right. So obviously, we are talking, and Kyle was just referencing like about an insanely dense work of like action filmmaking, and also, but also like design and craft. And this is a bit of a weird hybrid episode that's going to be similar to King Kong where I kind of want to get through the development hell so we can talk about the development heaven of actually make about the movie that we got. Cause it's not one of those that limped across the finish line. It was sort of like, Holy shit. Yeah. It's like, cause he finally gets to do this. Like you can tell yeah. this is what he's always wanted to do. And it's it that pays Don Quixote off. thing. Right. Where like, yeah. he was proved right. And it's not like this is a movie that, that people stopped believing in. It was more just circumstances and schedules. Um, but right off the bat, let's talk, because I remember, Richard, surprisingly, you had never seen this ever. 
I've never seen a single Mad Max. No Beyond Thunderdome, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay, so I should I should say we watch I watched uh all the trailers for the other ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is a franchise that sort of goes all over the place, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what's going on with any of them. I do know I like this one. Yeah, they both they all have this sort of like it's like they all Evil Dead 2, their previous Evil Dead, where they're kind of all the same movie, but, like, what if we amplified this or that? Isn't there one where, like, an old man is telling a story to children and he goes, and I was the boy the whole time? Sure, or that's, yeah, yeah, the second one, yeah. <laughs> well, so so I like, uh, like, in the first Mad Max, he's a cop, right? Like he's like a wasteland cop. Well, and we won't get too much into these because we, 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 there is a lot to go through a theory road, but he is basically the idea um, is that it wasn't even necessarily going to be a sci-fi movie to begin with. It was, he, Miller just wanted to make a cop movie and he figured the only thing he can afford is to go shoot out in the desert because you can't close, you, you don't have to close roads really. Yeah. And, you're and in if you're going to do cops in the desert, that's going to be weird unless you say, oh, this is some post-apocalypse thing. So he sort of backed into this sci-fi thing by just going for like a minimal sci-fi look. I like it. I but mean, yes, it is just a cop movie. It's extremely effective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, but it is one of those things that then on a Hollywood scale is also weirdly expensive to do. Because mm-hmm. every th- single thing you use has to be like built, has to go through. Yeah, it has to go through that. Like it has to be dry aged in the sun for two years. Like, the first one had a bit of that, but it almost was more that like the only motorcycle they could get their hold on was a piece of shit that already looked pretty banged up. And then you exactly. know, they just kind of hired a high school kid to like drive it into a wall. Like there was no like order <laughs> or safety. Like it was kind of the crazy. Well, so, well, so that's era. sort of that's well, that's of how my... you get Mel Gibson. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna throw some kids at walls, man. Come on over here. You know, like like Mel Gibson's like, yeah, you throwing kids at walls. I got crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll work for scale. Now, now, Richard, <laughs> I'm interested because I also I I had seen pieces of this movie, um, wow. and I had I had talked to I had been in a lot of conversations about this movie, not really knowing much about it. Um, it's incredible to me that this is legitimately a like it's hard to call it a race but it's like it's a chase sequence the, the entire conti- movie the movie was like, was constructed as a single continuous chase that was the first and it thing has Miller a had a couple this. small pieces of 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 like slowing down and having a conversation but not really dog and most of those conversations are about where should we go chase next Right. If you, you, this movie couldn't pass a Bechtel test, if the Bechtel test was about talking about where you need to drive, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, wait, you mean the movie about a man who has an inbred society where he just has concubines? <laughs> doesn't pass the Bechtel test? There's so much interesting world building, like even that. Like I was reading in my McFeasting K hole. Uh, <laughs> I was reading that he originally wanted to have the war boys call it Wahala with a W. Uh, but he felt after watching some people yell out Wahala, it just wasn't as cool as people <laughs> screaming Valhalla. Uh, and then he realized that Valhalla is a eight letter word that starts with a V. It's a what? It's an eight, eight letter word that starts with a V. Okay. So you got V8 in there. 
for hell the yeah. War Boys, well, and he went hell yeah. This <laughs> and I'm is like, an incredibly that's awesome. named movie where like yes. there's the war rig, the Giga Horse, the Citadel, the gas, the what is it, Gas Town, the Bullet Farm, and they don't tell you what any of it is. They just go, so that's a bullet farm. Yeah, exactly. I, well, like I was trying to explain to Gina what things in this movie were, and I'm like, in Furiosa, she drives a war rig, and it's. It's a war rig. (laughs) (laughs) So like she has fail safes in it and one arm. Oh, God. It's the most insane. Okay, so we got to jump in um, because believe it or not, this was not a particularly easy film to make. But I think we are all in agreement. I was I was going to say everything in Mad Max feels difficult. Like, not just the fact that they're making the movie, like the things the characters do, like when Max realizes he's got the he still has the guy attached to him and he the gun doesn't work. So he has to drag the guy and the door. Mm, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like everything they do, even when they're like climbing around and then there's just like another bad guy in their way and they have to fight him. That Like everything is difficult, like walking across a platform becomes difficult in this world. Like it really it really goes to show this huge post-apocalyptic thing he's doing of like when the world goes to shit just this little way which again has never really been explained they they do this like who killed the world question but it's like they don't get into like you know they talk about satellites for a second which is kind of cool and they're like ev- everyone in the old world had a show like that's so that's such a funny like but yeah. there were like a few movies that had that sort of look but mad max defined that sort of image mm-hmm. you really, call that you know? style mad max and You'll this is this incredible i was gonna that i just got it back was that like to the, to the idea of it being difficult because of that and because there's so no there's like no dialogue character is being built through action the only things we learn about these characters are the traits that kept them alive this whole time mm-hmm. because it's sort of like for it to be such a stripped down society, everyone who's alive is has to have been alive for a reason. One, you know, Max was a cop who like does not attach himself to anybody now. You know, Charlize Theron's clearly rising up this this hierarchy to ultimately leave. You know, all this this Nux obviously was just born into it. Um, right. So but everybody is everyone who exists in this world at this point is like battle tested because yeah, all the, exactly. Like it's it's been. Uh, what do they call that? Like Newton's, uh, not Newton's law. Uh, who's the evolution guy? Darwin. Oh, some, Darwinism. Like, yeah. like it's pure. It's like the the next sure. level of like post nuclear Darwinism. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's it's unfortunately the answer to the like who would survive the apocalypse. It would just be crazy people. Right. Exactly. And that's um, what this movie posits is like. Oh, what if this one chick w- was like playing the crazy people to try and get back to her not crazy people, and then she got back to them, and they were like yeah. just a bunch of old ladies in the desert. It's like <laughs> if things went bad right now, maybe we'd be okay, but our kids would need to be ready to like do blood transfusions in speeding trucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, because we apocalypse now. We all get. We'll probably our cars will work the whole time, but then the kids, it's going to be bad in about a hundred years. <laughs> I love the idea that like the guy when they when he made this Buick, he never thought, yeah, you know, <laughs> it would be <laughs> sliced together with twelve other cars and attached with a giant flamethrower and like blown like, up in like the African desert. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a concept that like in all of these movies, like post-apocalypse and whatnot of like somebody in this world has to be doing well 
we're going to go find who they are and hang out with them. Yep. And those people are never doing well as well because that's no. the thing is everyone is suffering. Right, because the, the women in the green place it. are like, no, we're out here in the desert shooting people too. There's nothing. There's no hope. It's such a nihilistic thing that ends on such optimism and like it, what a triumph okay guys we gotta get the, we gotta do Dude, the, we no gotta the do movie the movie is a complete triumph like it like when she gets lifted you just can't help but feel yeah. like that's also miller just being like i fucking that's the yeah. shot i've been thinking about for and fucking it, 30 years you yeah, know it, like no i think the shot he was thinking about for 30 years was mad max nodding at her from the crowd right disappearing sure, yeah. Cause that was just fucking so fucking that was cool. his like that was his like Kubrick shining photo. This is also like the best <laughs> Fallout movie probably that will ever get made, even though they're oh, making sort of backdoor Fallout movie. Yeah, it feels like as a lot of those same like all these factions and stuff feel very Fallouty. Like the guys on the motorcycles that like throw down the firebombs, like which is like I'm watching that and I'm like, God, this is just such a cool mm-hmm. excuse to have motorcycle stunts in your movie, and it totally works. Like, and, uh, anyway, yeah, sorry. Let's so talk about this. Movie. The Mad Max trilogy, which we'll just gloss over, was uh, uh went from 1979 to 1985. Uh, Mad Max, Mad Max the Road Warrior, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Both three starred Mel Gibson, written and directed by George Miller. That's the interesting thing, is this is a full saga made by a single guy. Who, wow, yeah. all of them written and directed. That's yeah, crazy. Exactly. Normally, well, they like by the third one, he's like handing off writing to like a friend. Or well, a he is. Or these are, I think some of them are co-written, especially this one, okay. which was co-written with a uh, comic book artist. Um, because Ooh. technically there was no script to this movie. The thing he got the movie greenlit off of was a a a you know a stack of thirty five hundred storyboards. So this movie wow. was drawn. Comic it was not written. Wow. Even when uh, cinematographer <laughs> or sorry the production designer who is our our MVP today Colin Gibson um, came in, he said he asked for the script and George said no 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 it's in this room. And he took him mm-hmm. to a room which wall to wall was every storyboard of the movie. And he said, you start at the top left here and you go to the bottom right on that, on that wall. And he There's just walked the room movie. and watched the movie. And apparently and I will, like, I will almost say, all of these storyboards ended up as the shots in the movie. When two, when two characters oh. are just talking in this movie, it is the weakest parts of the movie. But it's but The it's weakest always, parts of a great movie. Yeah, exactly. But, but like, at the same but time... Like, I Fuck. don't know what Tom Hardy's voice is in this movie. I don't know if he's is he trying to do a little Australian. He's doing a little bit of Bane. I also think a big thing he's doing because he's the I feel like he's the guy, a guy who really intellectualizes things like that, like the voice or this or that, because he's definitely not doing what Mel Gibson did. I think he's playing it like I haven't spoken in 10 years. It hurts. He's playing it like it yeah. hurts to speak. Well, he's also like if if you're in a world that's dehydrated, you're gonna yeah. talk different, and mm-hmm. I think that's something he addresses in the way he's gonna talk. That sounds like something Tom Hardy would do. Is like, all right, this guy's thirsty always, mm-hmm. or like this because it's, just, it's like you want to save your moisture. Muscles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and it's like that feels just very him and in, in like the way. But Charlize, Charlize is really able to play those dialogue moments with just her fucking powerfully piercing eyes her eyes are fucking intense such a brilliant move of that as well 
Um, and the haircut, like everything about her just reads so fucking badass. And her her arm is cool, too. Like it's animatronic, but it's not like that. It's not like souped up. You know what I mean? It's built like, into the whole thing where by the end when Max says his name, it's such an emotional moment because it's almost like him admitting it to himself. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a person mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you acknowledge me as a person. And that's the only time yeah. he speaks with a sign- course, sort of normal. Someone voice. named me. Like yeah. there was, yeah. like, there that's used to be people around normalcy. me. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's only in two uh, two years after Beyond Thunderdome that Miller starts to talk about doing another one. Which, who's the co-star in Beyond Thunderdome? It's like a, it's a huge Whitney. singer. Yeah. It's Whitney Houston, Houston, right? Tina Turner. Tina Turner. It's Tina Turner. Tina Turner. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's insane. I like, just remember wild hair. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, that's such a wild, that's like putting, like, Beyonce in the next Mad Max movie, and she's, right. like, running well, a, a huge if, like, fight club, and you're Lady like, well, Gaga okay, was cool. Furiosa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, it, every time these movies have come out, it feels like they get this same reaction that we've kind of got of, like, this is buck wild. You know, like, it, it's, it's, it, like, welcome to Thunderdome, bitch, is, like, really what they say in that movie, right? Yeah, I just, I just rewatched Fast Five, and it was similar, where, like, I know this is this incredible action movie, but... I want some Mad Max stuff to happen. Like, where's the Mad Max stuff? Like, why isn't this like more like Mad Max? It's it's this well, own you want thing. That taste. Um, yeah. So in 1998, um, sorry, hold on, I just backed up. I so was seven years old. 1987. It's looking like there's just not a whole lot of money, and he already has this idea of a continuous chase. So that is the nugget that he carries through the entire way, and it's not until 1998 that he has this full idea for what this movie is going to be. He says that he had it, that it came to him at a traffic intersection in Los Angeles. Now, I don't know what could have possibly been at this intersection. She was makes- breastfeeding on one corner. <laughs> there was, yeah, there she were was- two ladies breastfeeding. There were two albino guys with eyeshadow on walking shirtless. There was a guy getting burned violently. Mm-hmm. And then there was, a, there, there was a street performer on stilts that was like... Yeah, <laughs> street performers on stilts. The guy has a guitar, electric guitar, the shooting fire. There's uh, a crazy a guy yelling, I had a brother and he was perfect. <laughs> and then this dude just jizzing into his mouth saying witness me <laughs> he's like I'll go make that spray paint in the window then he saw a one armed girl get stabbed and he was like I fucking got it dude <laughs> I just he cracked just, back he three. just kind of scribbles it down like <laughs> he screams yeah, to himself they should go back to the citadel <laughs> and he's just like is this a Mad Max idea or is it a happy feet idea I'm gonna figure that out at the office I love, I love driving in Los Angeles California yeah I think it's such a great idea is what I'm driving her in. The next intersection, I, th- I saw some penguins. I said, I've got two pictures on my hands. How, <laughs> how does man's go from making, like, Mad Max to Happy Feet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we'll yeah, get to Now, listen, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was driving, right? And I see, I see a bunch of fat little fuckers. They're all dancing. They're all tipped, tipped. Tip down and dancing all in. And so establishes the listeners' I realize they're of this fucking episode. penguins, mate. <laughs> Hey, what if we get Elijah Wood? He, he, he came up with Happy Feet when he was at an intersection in the Antarctic and saw a bunch of penguins dance. Don't Stop Believing was playing. In a car he built. <laughs> yeah. He was driving the war rig through Antarctica. 
Here's Eddie, mate. <laughs> Driving to set my war rig. <laughs> now, you see, I've got fail-safes in here. You can't so, run unless I know how sorry. to run it. So he made, yeah, his failsafe would be that opening uh, tap dance number that the penguin does. <laughs> that's like done acapella, like it's yeah. just the sounds of the taps. You know, like yeah, you know, like dance instructions on the floor for feet. That's mm. the pedals for his car. Okay, I would, I would argue you see a little bit of that motherfucker when that big ass seal comes to eat the penguins. You see a little Mad Max in oh, the yeah. seal chasing happy feet. Yo, it's crazy at Happy Feet when that rock falls down the hill and he ends up in that cave where they're just like sucking milk at a female penguin. <laughs> yeah, when the when the when the roided out penguin rips the engine out of the car. Yeah, with the beached whales going, witness me. <laughs> um, so Miller conceived of a story where violent marauders were fighting not only for oil or material goods, but for human beings. So that's I guess the big thing he stumbled on is sort of like human cargo that it's not about so i was driving so i was driving oh. to los angeles i saw some human trafficking mate and i said oh, i've got a great idea for a picture so when i said when i said i was stuck at a traffic lot i meant human traffic <laughs> um, so the film was set to shoot in 2001 um he was so Something happened though. There's a couple. Of, um, so there, this is this is a, a funky thing. I think that at this point he's still it's still Mel Gibson. Um, hey, that's why so, I kind of stay away from those movies in the first place. For just this 2001, which was postponed because of 9/11, which according to um, Miller, the American dollar collapsed against the Australian dollar, and the budget ballooned. Wait. So nine um, eleven happens. The only collapse he's focused on is the dollar. So I think that maybe someone asked him about it in relation to Mad Max. The dollar <laughs> actually collapsed. It actually collapsed faster than it could have naturally, uh, with the pancake effect. Well, it was a it was a uh, controlled demolition of the American dollar against the Australian dollar. Yeah. <laughs> there were bombs in the dollar. Thermite. Um, so at that point he, no, okay, sorry. I, so one thing about this movie is it, it's this interesting period of like reporting on movies where I don't think he's really saying much to these reporters. So they're trying to build. Oh yeah. This is like movie poop shoot.com era. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, he canceled it. Let's make up a crazy ass reason that we've decided. And he's the kind of guy who won't correct us, you know? So it seems that at this point he waited till 2003. Now in 2003, they think they can get going, but at this point they're going to shoot in Namibia in the African desert. Um, it went on hiatus after the Namibian desert. Uh, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. The Namibian desert was canceled for things yeah. they said on Twitter 10 years. All right, previous. guys, we're going to take a little walk about while, um, well, he's over here figuring yeah, this here. out. Listen here, I was driving my war rig in the Namibian desert. You want to, you want to, you want to be in for a real treat? Have a bunch of Australians say Namibian for two years. You know, um, uh, you want to know where I was in nine eleven? I was a traffic light. I have to go somewhere today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just doing this. I'm gonna cheat and fall back on on the source. 
Um, Miller ended up recasting the role because of controversies surrounding Gibson and because he wanted Max to remain at a younger age Wait. as the, quote, same contemporary warrior. Hmm. I mean, that makes Mel sense. Gibson. It, what? Max the, should be kind of like an age. Wait, 2003 yeah. Mel Gibson is when he like really started his the Holocaust never tits? happened era, right? Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I sent Kyle a transcription of what he said to his girlfriend once that we're going to have Kyle read. I'm not going to read that. All right. Um, so <laughs> well, oh, well the, I, wait, hold on. I thought you were saying it. No, I did not send that he, to like, you. says terrible thing no no i didn't send it to you okay hold on Uh, the project was given the green light to begin filming in the australian desert in may of 2003 with a budget of 100 million dollars but the location was ruined by rainfall Um, mad max then entered a hiatus and in light of security concerns related to its namibian shoot because of titan travel and shipping restrictions at the onset of the iraq war so like technically 9-11 like fucked this thing twice in 2006, Miller stated that he intended he, that he intended to make Fury Road, and that the film was never going to involve Gibson. I think that he just started separating himself way more and more without ever throwing the guy down. Like, I'm sure they're friends to a degree still, but you know, if Miller wants to get this movie fucking made, you know, and at that point after the 2003 shutdown, he moved to Happy Feet because there was a small window where that studio. And those that digi- those digital artists could make the movie because Happy Feet can be its own episode the way that that thing was constructed. So he went off to do Happy Feet. I think it made so much money. Uh, Nominated for Oscars. an Oscar. Yeah, he won uh, for best animated. The first film. he has an Oscar for isn't the first it the Happy first? Feet. Uh, no, the first like nominated film uh, animated film Oscar. Right? Is that one? No, I think that's Shrek. Is it? I think it's Shrek, dog. My fucking boy. <laughs> that 20-year-old um, movie? Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. So, Give me the Oscar. <laughs> no, wait, wait. What are we doing? Let's focus on that one. Let's do that voice more. <laughs> That's so actually... I was at a Shrek. I was at a traffic light. Okay, so you did get my transcription of what Mel Gibson yelled at his girlfriend. <laughs> Shrek. Yo, do you guys know about? No, sugar tits. So I googled, Did you Shrek? I googled Did you 2003 Mel Gibson, and this article came up where he told uh, a like a preliminary like a like he told somebody, "I want to, I want to kill him. I want his intestines on a stick. I want to kill his dog." Is <laughs> what he said about somebody who didn't like the Passion of the Christ. 2003 oh, Mel Gibson. That's what he was saying about Shrek. <laughs> 2003 Mel Gibson. We should have seen the signs. In November of 2006, Miller said he didn't. He never wanted to work with Gibson. He said, there's a real hope. The last thing I wanted to do is another Mad Max, but the script came along and I'm completely carried away with it. The film screenplay was co-written with cult British comic creator Brendan McCarthy, who also designed many of the new characters and vehicles. So this is something interesting. Because this movie kept getting right up to production, it means that they had multiple um, pre-productions where they were building cars. So by this Sick. point, they had like three movies worth of these cars, of this fleet of shit. Fuck yeah. And they were kind of just sitting waiting, you know? And that's why I think the movie became easier for people to greenlight because it's like, look, we've prepped this already. Um, uh, so th- these things are ready to go. We just need to bi- build the big boys. So if you're interested in reading the script, take a step inside of it. <laughs> it's like, we'll he's like, oh, oh, you want to probably such a, a that's such an easy yes to be able to tell a producer like come step inside the script and if you look at it you it's easy, you can find it easily 
he does the shots. He yeah. like so rarely does a movie actually do exactly the storyboards, let alone thirty five hundred of the storyboards. He opens the door, brings in the writer's assistant, and goes, "Here's the script," and the whole room is just a traffic stop. <laughs> and he's well, like, also, he's uh, like, so you put it in a big intersection. You're gonna, you're gonna start here, and then you're gonna work your way down this way. <laughs> Unless you and get so, a red light, then you gotta stop. Think about what you just read. Something else that I think about with this movie too is that like it kind of intersects right with um, visual effects getting really nice and pretty cheap for the stuff he's doing. Like almost all these landscapes, I'm sure, are like have a piece of digital effects to them. Right. Like I'm sure he's shooting in an actual desert, but there's like there's certainly a lot of VFX. Well, this is probably in every shot. Of course, there are visual effects in every shot. But this movie is pretty famous for how practical it is and how 90 percent effects were on set. Yeah. yeah. What what I'm talking about is sort of like, how can I say this? I think you understand what I'm talking about. There's just a level of like polish to the filmmaking mm-hmm. that I feel like this era of like just just the just the little parts that they do in in post to to sort of tie things together and like clean stuff up and set extensions and you know what I mean shit like that. It finally means sure. something instead like, of just something you brush to the side now, you know, or like it can actually right, right, finish right. off uh, the movie uh, well. That that won't that won't make a a bad movie good. Any of this stuff, but <laughs> all of this stuff sort of became much easier to do right around when he's doing it to a point where I wonder if in two thousand three. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Put out something that that like aged as well. That I think this movie will age. He would not be able to put the Fury Road he wanted to put out if it had started the multiple false starts. You know. Absolutely, and I think a a huge element of it. We talked about it a little bit with Don Quixote. How it ended up with this perfect cast. How Mm -hmm. this movie is not this movie without Tom Hardy or. Charlize Theron, but really, like, as much as, and this, I, I talked to uh, our past and future guest, Jacob Borja, about this, how it's a rare movie where the main character is not the title character. Like, this is really like a Furiosa movie, yep. but it's it's Hardy who's so good at, it's it's similar to what, um uh, like, Chris Pine does this in the Wonder Woman movies, where he has, he does have more star power. He maybe has more charisma as an actor, but he's so good at allowing himself to not be in front. Yeah, which um, is hard to do. It's hard, yeah, especially when, like, you know, you have an out of focus movie star behind, you know, the five wives or something like that, and he's well, also he seems like so I think, game. I think the the cool thing about Mad Max is how sort of episodic it is. You know what I mean? And this this has the feeling of like a really cool D&D arc that lasted like, you know, five or six fun sessions and it like came to a really nice close and the character is like moving on to do something else now. It also like carries Max that is going to go have other adventures. It that carries we're not that thing see. of like it, a Western TV show where the episode is about the guest star. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like William Shatner's on this episode. So it's a William Shatner episode. Yeah. Well, and also like this movie, I think has the coolest, maybe the coolest ever scene of a character doing something off screen badass. 
when Max like leaves to with that gas canister and like oh. takes out that that oh, like sh- shit. the gunner guys and comes back like that is one of the coolest fucking things and that's the implication of the whole ending of the movie. Right, like, Max is gonna go do that shit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's similar to when he hands he lets her shoot and just plugs his ear. Yeah. Like he knows, he just knows how to. Well, and he and he's also again what kept him alive is that he lets the better person do whatever needs to be done. Well, he also ended yeah. up there. He also like know? lets Nux drive and shit. Like he doesn't need to trust Nux that quickly, but right. he's like, "Fuck it, we're in a bad situation. Grab the wheel, asshole." I, I think like his like main superpower is like he can look at somebody and know, okay, your best ability is this. When I need it, I'm gonna make you do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and he's like, he's just this human orchestrator where he's like, all right, cool. I have to get out of a situation. Like, my only, like, power is really survival. And so I'm going to use all of you to get out because I got pushed here. Human orchestrator is a a job title next to organic mechanic. (laughs) (laughs) So here. Which I like that that's what they call doctors. Oh, it's gorgeous! That's it's like the the like health <laughs> records on the tattoo on the yeah. back. Yeah, it's good yeah, that stuff. Was tight. All right, so Miller stated in the in around two thousand six, sorry two thousand seven, that Heath Ledger was apparently being considered for the role. Like I think that he was in the talks before he died. I don't think it they had even fell because again, Australian star. I think um, Heath Ledger could have been great. Could have been great. Yeah, been has, yeah, had similar elements to what Hardy. Uh, dude, can I do think visually. he might have been better because he's so good in quiet moments. Like he's he's kind of one of the best quiet actors of our time, and he can go big. And he can go big, like, and he seemed dedicated. Like you know, you get like he's good at him up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I and think, he's so kind of wiry. What's great about Hardy too is he still sells like. A little bit of Looney Tunes where you're not positive he has this covered. You're like, even though he's buff, he's not, he doesn't seem, he seems still awkward. Like when he's on top of the war rig putting his jacket on and he just kind of seems like, fuck, I fucking hate every fucking Or even thing. just like trying to file off the thing. Yeah. Like that's such a good like kind of gag that they keep or that like running for a couple like minutes. Directing people with the gun. Like just, mm-hmm. it's not, he's kind of an awkward guy. He's playing yeah, it he's somewhat stiff. for physical comedy. Like, um, all right, y'all. So here's it, it's interesting. interesting how much how much Miller goes for jokes in a movie like this. Like there is some really funny, like not jokes, but like the hard cut to like the guitar guy like oh, asleep on he, his like yeah. hammock thing. Well, and I'm and like, he, that's that's fucking money. Like they're all just chilling. Knows, he knows what the reveal of the guitar because it's like you see the drums on the back of that car Mm -hmm. and you're like that's so fucking cool that the drums in the soundtrack are live are like in the universe and then that crane that that helicopter shot goes around and this dude is Mm. riffing on a guitar with us with like a sword on it and it's an actual like i looked that up in my in my mcfeasting deep dive an actual guitar that's like over 150 pounds and the whammy bar actually controls the flames shooting out those are practical so i figured i was like the flames have to be cgi but nope practical flames an mvp here that we're all going to be reading some great quotes from is production designer oscar winning production designer colin gibson who in looking at his interviews it's this thing where you have to imagine this is the guy who was tasked 
with figuring out what the cups in this universe are, what the so from, you know, and it's cups. the kind of guy where he really Wait, got into cups. it. You want cups? He call Anna Kendrick, baby. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I had that coming after the signs thing. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was going to say that, though, like, this guy must be a 70-year-old lady from the desert because he don't miss. <laughs> Kyle, I've sent you a quote <laughs> from... <clears throat> All right, so Production I'll read designer. it. Is, is Gibson Australian? Oh yeah, everyone. So do you uh, guys remember the Oscars this year, where like every award for in the, through the technical streak was like a crazy-haired Australian who? Yeah, was like, George. They said we couldn't do it, and we fucking did it. And I said to the Valhalla, "Witness me with my Oscar." Like, <laughs> it's and they're all, all huffing spray chrome yeah, spray paint on and, stage, and George Miller's just. <laughs> It cuts to him just kind of giving thumbs up, like, yay. Like, the after party with the Miller. Oh, the God, Mad the Australian after. Yeah, oh. that's probably one of the most legendary. And so when Colin Gibson was asked about, or this is Colin Gibson speaking to the Doof Wagon and its titular Doof Warrior. Yeah, the Doof Wagon was all chance to music, but it had to be a musical war. Every army is a little drummer boy. Giving the white head 120 V8, V16s, V12s, and W16s making hideous noise. Warboys chanting, spanners clashing, lances exploding. We really need to have one hell of a noisy drummer boy. Hence the mosh pit at the end of the universe was born. That's so fucking cool. That... <laughs> That man, a D, the Deef wagon, the Deef wagons. What I call, <laughs> I call my, my mom's car. <laughs> I said, George, this could work for this too. Is it um, George? You know how you know how we talk shit about me mom, a fucking ugly car. <laughs> how do you pronounce this actress's name? She's one of the wives, the redheaded wife, Riley Co. Riley Q. I think it's she's Co. the red. Co the redheaded wife, she's in Logan Lucky, she's in a lot of Soderbergh stuff now, is married to the Doof Warrior. Hell yes! <laughs> <laughs> get it, get it! <laughs> so what, and what did that come off of, the Doof Warrior? Um, Alright, so here's the, the dark phase of this production was that it almost wasn't a live-action film. On... March 5th, 2009, it was announced that an R-rated animated feature film was in pre-production and would be <coughs> taking much of the plot from Fury Road. Although Gibson would not be in the film and Miller was looking for a different route, a renaissance of the franchise. Uh, Miller cited director Akira Kurosawa as an inspiration for what he wanted to do. Miller was also developing an action-adventure tie-in video game based on the fourth film, along with God of War 2 video game designer Corey Barlog. Both projects were expected to take two and a half years, according to Miller, with a release date of either 2011 or 12. There is a Mad Max game, though. There is, but it w this was going to be... The interesting thing about Mad Max and is that it, it there's no real expanded universe to it. It's pretty much just these movies. So this was a major moment where he was like, we're making a universe here. We're doing, you know, we're doing a, an animated movie and a the video game from a pretty major, you know... Uh, studio, what was it? Fury Road was going to be produced at Dr. D Studios, a digital art studio founded in 2008 by Miller and Doug Mitchell. 
So, yeah, this I can't find much else about what this video game was going to be, but have either of you guys played Kyle, You're Muted? I was going to say, he's only four or five years away from getting those juicy Horror of the Orient rates. <laughs> <laughs> so he's probably going to get real busy. Can we get a status update on Horror of the Orient? There isn't one! There's never going to be an update on Horror of the Orient! Lots of Chicago for iOS. Yeah, so I was stealing around in a code for Horror of the Orient, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but no, I, I, I think... Uh, I would love. I was thinking that the whole time I was watching this movie. I'm like, dude, I want a Mad Max video game so bad. The Mad Max like, video game is like pretty good. Like I, I heard it, people kind of slept on it. What is it? Is it what? What kind of game is it? I've never. It's like a single player action adventure game. Where like okay. yeah, and it's like open world, like GTA, but like Mad Max. Apparently, I never kinda like, played like, it. Played kind of like the Spider Man game or something. Yeah, like you have like different stuff to go do. <clears throat> That's pretty cool. And like you, uh, thinking... and you like build your car and shit. I was thinking it would be uh, really fun to have like a game that's kind of like Fury Road where like um, almost like like Overwatch where like you have to get this like like part of you play as the people manning the convoy and the other people play as like the fucking war boys trying to like take you down on Lancers and a shit. A direct and adaptation really of this would be a cool game in, in that way like a cooperative like 10 people on the war rig game. But oh, Mad Max game does look cool. I think that this is almost could be because the Mad Max game didn't do killer. Um, I think that this might be an inverse. What we talk about with video games, how the only reason these work is because people can experience them for their own in their own way. I do wonder if Mad Max only works the way George Miller chooses to curate it, you know, and well, also we talk about things being <clears throat> like suited to their medium in the world of video games the things mad max does is not new or interesting well yeah and that's also it's, um it's, that's why i compared it to fallout it like it's been doing mad max almost as long as mad max yeah. has been doing it in its very own distinct way and it's made it its own that's you know? sort like, of what killed the mad max video game is the fact that like rage borderlands uh fallout were all big at this time and like even right. rage there's, there's other yeah. big like big explosions in the desert in cars and, and guys like, in patchwork armor like if you're a kid and you've never heard of mad max you're not gonna watch yeah. you're not gonna play mad max over borderlands and after watching uh like fury road i think rage is probably the perfect mad max video game and <laughs> there is a mad max video game like rage is Top tier. Hold on, this dog wants. Mad Max: The Video Game is currently seventy five percent off on the Steam Summer Sale. It is five dollars. Yeah, I think it's a bit kind of bombed as a video game can, you know. So after exploring the possibility of an animated film, uh, he instead decided to shoot a live action film. And quote: In two thousand nine, had already had the various vehicles built for years now, as they were built for the doomed Fury Road shoots. So, again, they're, they're set. They have the hardest part done. The production designer spoke to this a little bit, where, like, because there's only ten locations in this movie, and eight of them are just different parts of the desert, um, the only world building they can do is the cars. So, as much as this movie feels so fleshed out, it's only really fleshed out through the cars and like who like you know the bullet town or the bullet farm cars right i was thinking that because i think about this a lot in like you know even fallout it's always a big question that people have in that world is like what 
the major cities of the world look like now, the different major cities, how it's affected, you know, like Fallout's been able to world build out into tons of these cities because that's sort of what they do. Yeah, Vegas and Boston and uh, L.A. and, you know, Washington, D.C. and like all these different places that Pittsburgh, you know, they've been able to sort of flesh out like the the lore. But there's all these questions. The Appalachian Mountains. Even in that world of like... (laughs) You know, people people always ask, like, what happened to Australia in the world of Fallout? What happened to um, Japan? You know what I mean? Like, and it'd be awesome to get a game set in London and see what happened there. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these different questions of, of that. But Mad Max is also a game or like a a world that is much less uh, like Fallout is much more sci fi, <clears throat> I would say, than Mad Max is. Because you have, like, super mutants that are, like, orcs, and you have, like, you know, superpowers, essentially. <laughs> it's also so much about the experience of individuals as opposed to the mm-hmm. world. It's about these people who also aren't engaging with the world. So, like, Max would never go to where whatever's happening in Sydney. You know, he would never right. go and figure out what's going on in Boston or Vegas or something. Well, so do you think, <clears throat> do you think this movie is set in Australia, quote-unquote? Yeah, because the other three are so Max. I mean, unless Max got on a boat, this is still Australia. So when they when they point to the salt and they say 160 days, they're implying you would try to be like driving across the barren ocean to like what used to be North America or whatever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So like, I got like it was was Waterworld made in like direct reaction to like a Mad yes. Max? Was Waterworld it like and the Postman were both Costner's attempts to do sort of Mad Max. So in October of two thousand nine, Miller announced that principal photography on Fury Road would commence at Broken Hill, New South Wales, in August of twenty ten. Oh, is it New month, South Wales? Uh, Tom Hardy, yeah, they just reopened. They just opened. Uh, yeah, they, 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 when, it, when he started production, it was still just old Wales. <laughs> that's how long this took. Is that's everything how long it new. took? Um, so the same amount of time Hardy was brought on, uh, and Charlize Theron was also announced for the movie. Uh, Guys, new Wales just dropped in twenty in twenty <laughs> uh, in July twenty ten. Miller announced plans to shoot two Mad Max films back-to-back, entitled Fury Road and Mad Max Furiosa, which we'll get into a little later. Yeah, um, so that's what I was going to ask. I, I'm glad we're going to get into that. I'll, I'll yeah, that'll come up. questions for that portion. We'll, we'll close up with that guy. For that we are, quarter portion. We are almost to the shoot of the movie that we have watched, but here is George Miller speaking on that 2010 shoot in Broken Hill. All right, we have... We were going to shoot in Broken Hill, where we shot the other Mad Max movies out in the outback Australia, flat red earth. We built our roads there. We built 200 vehicles, we rehearsed our stunts, and then it rained for the first time in 15 years, and it rained big, and it became a flower garden. We saw the budding of sprouts, the, the great salt lakes in the center of Australia were full of water. Well, Warner said, well, you know... Let's wait a year. So the so the cast and everybody stood down and we waited 18 months and it didn't dry out. So we took everything from the east coast of Australia to the west coast of Africa where it never rains. Never. So obviously that's a great call for avoiding rain, but it's spelled like we're going to go to hell on earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, dog, that sucks that like 
it's the one like this they have this like 20 year reign in australia yeah. and it happens like, Yo, right it's so crazy done. that a miracle like, happened and they're like shit we gotta go to africa yeah. <laughs> especially with this movie that's like so about like a world ridden with like drought and and like environmental kind of undertones that like an act like you said a sort of environmental miracle happened on his home and it was already gonna suck to shoot in australia it's like one of the most famously awful places to have to go shoot even in the cities um so they obviously moved to namibia in uh november of 2011 uh in july of 2014 miller said uh oh wait no that's an after okay we've already talked to the thing sorry i shuffled these around so Principal photography began in July 2012 in Namibia, with most of the filming based in the Dorab National Park. So it's a bit of a, it was still a bit of a protected land, you know, they didn't just go kind of find desert. Filming also took place in the Cape Town Film Studios in Cape Town, South Africa. I mean, I feel like there's only a few, there were, had to have been only a few weeks of that, because the only like sets or interiors of that first chunk at the War Boys like compound. Um... Yeah, the the opening and closing were sort of done as reshoots because they were it was so separate from the the body. Oh yeah, and like a, like the stuff where he's like taken down into like the cells and where you see all the doctors and stuff. That that's all definitely yeah, like exactly that's stage, a yeah. that's that stage. Um, so originally the film was going to be shot in three D because this was around the time where that was money. Uh, but you know, so native three D cameras. I don't know if you guys know are two. It's two cameras. Yeah, it's two like this, and then they blur the. Yeah, one of them pointed down, because they have to line up the frames the exact same way. So it's kind of like an L, where one camera's pointed at at the subject like you would, but the second camera is held vertically, aiming down at the ground. Both of them shooting into a mirror that lines up the angles. But the issue you have to have there is you need identical lenses, you need identical sensors, and you need nothing to be different. The dust that gets on one fucks up the other. And so they quickly realized, like, this cannot work, especially with the shots that Miller had drawn up. Um, you know, you're not getting these, you're not getting this into a car, you're not getting this through windows, you're not driving with these. Um, so that was thrown out. Also, the original cinematographer, um, Dean Semler, was who had, was the cinematographer for the previous two films, left the film during prep. I can't find a reason why, but it seemed like it was a bit unceremonious, like it was kind of out of nowhere. So at this point, they, he brings on cinematographer John Seal, who came out of retirement to shoot this movie, and apparently Miller is working on getting him out of retirement to shoot what he's about to he's about to shoot another mad max movie soon oh is it the uh, oh, another, i'm so know. happy i didn't know that i'm so fucking happy well, are you ever gonna um, also this cinematographer oh so here's the thing oh, what was john, his name again his name's john seal now here's john seal you he, mad john man. seal turned 70 on set of this movie and there were many days where he was on the war rig getting shots like on the speeding war rig this 70 year old retiree is like getting this bro like he's so good i'll suck his dick dude like, and also there's the bold choice to of me sucking Miller's his dick i know 
that there's the, the that Miller speaks to a lot of these movies, and if if you look at the original promotional stills for this movie, it looks really bad because it's that typical post-apocalyptic, like desaturated brown. And mm-hmm. what uh, Miller eventually said that his favorite version of the movie is in black and white, the chrome. But the only option to do that past that, yeah, is to go hyper saturated which is what sets this movie apart like for a desert movie is that it is orange grounds and like yeah like harsh blue i love skies. the i actually like the, the really really like how saturated the colors mm-hmm. are it's it's just um, helps add to the sort of like over stimulus and like how oppressive everything must feel it makes the movie feel hotter um so 150 stunt performers uh, inc- were brought on, including Cirque du Soleil performers and Olympians. Well, you have to, you know, you can kind of yeah, double up. The War Boys are pretty. That's nice. really like, um, I think it was huge. Like they had to be a, a lot, but 150 is like low, further than I thought. Yeah. So there were apparently also it's the people you got to be get that got to be willing to go to fucking africa to shoot this a lot of a lot of those people are going to be like no nah, i'm getting money elsewhere where i don't have to go i don't have to say eight malaria pills you know like and you've <laughs> got to be there like it's going to take you it might take you a week to get this shot yeah you know and so apparently there most movies have like a week or two of hard stunt days you know even something like a marvel movie might have a month's worth of that apparently there were 120 days of what were called big stunt days and through all those to speak to how incredibly this movie was crafted, there were no injuries through the entire shoot, which is rare for something so that's ambitious. That's crazy. That, yeah, um, that's this looks so, like a movie that would have Yeah, and Harrison Ford was injured permit. yesterday on the instead of Indiana Jones. <laughs> Wasn't he like standing up really hard or something? Yeah, you just got up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it, if it hurts I to just, get up. You're not going to carry my movie. I just posted in the Discord uh, one of the really desaturated images, and I'm so bad. glad that the movie was not color Yeah, that is no. exactly it. It looks, it looks that looks bad. like bleach bypass. That looks bullshit. like early Instagram posts, like the filter yeah, look, everyone I was going to say it looks like X-Pro2. <laughs> Valencia as well. Yeah, but with structure <laughs> yeah. boosted, like structure. structure. That's that's cool. Stru- the structure of a ruined photograph. Um, <laughs> that, that slider should be called ruined photograph. Ruin. How much do you want to ruin <laughs> it's this? It's like, oh, this filter is called grind. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is a little thing I stumbled upon that I really thought you guys would enjoy. Um, that really caught you know it 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 it. So, expert motorcyclist Stephen Gall was one of the stunt coordinators and drivers. Now, he was a winner of five Australian motocross championships, but he was also a four-time champion at something called Mr. Motocross. Oh, my God. Dog, Australian guys. Richard was talking about how drunk white chicks are indestructible. So are Australian guys. (laughs) Australian guys, you could throw an Australian guy down a fucking flight of stairs and then he'll just like start doing push-ups. Like they are so fucking rock about fucking little knuckle. They'll be like, like, all right, I've, I've eaten broken glass before. All right. Yeah. We didn't need milk, mate. A broken glass and blood, we called it Australian cereal where I'm from. (laughs) Australians are the most badasses. Do you know what Australian football is, Spike? No. 
Australian football is uh, football, but they Being don't soccer. wear pads like a pussy. No, like oh, rugby okay, and football. football. But like they just don't like you don't wear pads because you're not a little bitch from America. This, I've just sent Mr. Motocross. Hello, incredible posters for Mr. Motocross. Holy now it shit. seems like Mr. Motocross was a sort of like proto X Games. Where like, but specifically in Australia, where like any cool thing you could do with a motorcycle, they did it competitively. But it also That's had this shit. like hardcore punk, like you know horror uh, artwork with That's like so a random cool. Pepsi. Yeah, it dropped. Yeah, it's it. very like Rob Liefeld like comic book. Yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like early like nineties Venom comics look a lot like this yeah like you know when they would make those comics that had captain america with like the big titty chest (laughs) (laughs) sure i love when people take those comics where they have like they're like so insanely ripped and they draw him naked (laughs) and so it's just his like skin (laughs) and you see how like horribly disfigured their bodies are because he's like yeah, it's so funny. Well, and those are also the kinds of things that somehow like fan like angry fanboys on the internet use to say someone's not right for a role. Where they're just like, <laughs> Ben Affleck doesn't look anything like this barrel chested mutant of Batman. <laughs> um So another I mean, hold on, are we gonna address the elephant in the room with Batman? Are we gonna talk about it? About him eating pussy? That he has a mask made for eating pussy? I'm I'm I'm, I'm only have the headline of this story, so why don't you tell the listeners and myself? So, so one of the, uh, one of the people at, um, I believe it was around E3, um, one of the people who works on the Harlequin show, I believe the showrunner was asked what some of the, like, how easy it was to work with Warner Brothers, and they were like, yeah, I mean, they only really, they don't care what we do with villains. We can have a villain do pretty much anything. They only get touchy about our heroes. And they were like, what specifically? And she's like, well, we had a, one of our writers pitched a joke that was going to be Catwoman was going to talk about Batman going down on her. And uh, Warner Brothers was like, we can't do that. And he was like, they were like, and we tried to back Warner Brothers into a thing of being like, what are you saying? Your hero isn't a generous lover. Like you guys made him a billionaire playboy. Like, why can't he be good in bed? And they were like, heroes don't do that ever, period. And so so you're saying DJ Khaled is running DC. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this was all during an episode of Hot Ones. Yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> Batman on Hot Ones talking about not eating pussy. <laughs> just eating, quote, just right? eating chicken wings in the mask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat pussy. <laughs> so, uh, usually at this point we go to our Instagram and we see uh, old stories, but since you are Batman, you don't have an Instagram. So we'll go to... Defend that <laughs> lack of eating pussy. <laughs> So basically, the internet uh, instantaneously went into a went into an uproar, um, and then several several writers of Batman comics or like Frank Miller's like my yeah, Batman eats pussy. Fra- yeah, literally several writers were like mine does. I think even Michael Keaton tweeted like a picture that someone had drew like fan art of like some of like Batman eating pussy. No, Zack Snyder <laughs> posted a photo of yeah. Batman Zack eating Snyder. Catwoman's pussy and it said hashtag canon. Is that real? 
Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. <laughs> it's like Zach, you have kids. Your kids are out here. <laughs> Make a little three six, like a one eighty here, and like I feel like Zack Snyder kind of rules. I, I he's, think he's grown. He's on handled me. everything really cool. I don't. I don't love his Justice League movie, just because I don't want to watch it again. But I. I do think he's cool. I really like how he handled that one podcast he was on. Like they got they like some like weird podcast that has bad views. Uh, like yeah, got, I remember that. Like got him to like forced him to through like a reward um, to be on their show, and he like started it by being like, "Hey, don't like what you guys do, but hey." Gangster. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty baller. So I found a tweet, but it says media not displayed has been removed in response I, to. I got you. Older. Is it I sent you the screenshot. Okay. On the phone. Yeah. Canon. <laughs> I mean, fuck. honestly, like, who drew that? You know, the best part of it was Josh Gad replying and going, I doubt that I can get can behind. Can I just say real quick, I doubt that the best part of it was Josh Gad. <laughs> no, the best part of it was Josh Gad. Josh Gad eating pussy <laughs> as Olaf. He's he's just trying to he's just trying. To I think of Conalingus as a warm hug. Unless we are talking, <laughs> God. Unless we are talking about FX's the comedians, the best part was not Josh Gad. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the show he was in with Billy yeah. Crystal? Yeah, where they play the comedians. And only one of them is arguably a comedian. Yeah, and we have a better version yeah, of that show now, and it's called Hacks. We'll get there. <laughs> Well, at least the people on Hacks are comedians. Right. <laughs> so another uh, technical or, or aesthetic. This episode's off like, the rails like this movie. This, yeah, this is coming at you hard. We're heading east. We were supposed to be going to Bullet Town. <laughs> or whatever. No, this podcast heads straight to, straight to the depths of Valhalla. So because of the fast nature required for edits, Miller asked uh, the cinematographer, John Seal, to keep the focus of the shot centered for every scene, every shot, because he knew he'd be editing so quickly that he didn't want audiences to have to jump around with their eyes. So if you watch the movie back, and it's especially, you can see it in the sort of fist fight that he has with Nux chained to him when he's fighting Furiosa, um, as well as the entire final scene, everything's like center frame. Not that it's symmetrical, but it's just everything you need to see is in the middle third of the frame. I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even catch that, but it makes sense because I, what I did catch was I was like, man, all this action is flowing so nice. So, it's so easy to watch, so visually and quickly. But it's not like like a uh, Batman Begins has that like really famous scene. People have like cut out on Twitter of a fight scene where it's like cuts are happening so fast yeah. and they're so close in and they're like, you can't even process what you're seeing. No one's, you know so what I mean? That. <laughs> like, um, but I, I really think that that Miller like shines and shows well, his, his like true craft in those moments of like that quick action. And I think just, just knows when to do a push in or when to fucking, you know what I mean? And I like, think also, yeah. uh, like Matthew Vaughn in the beginning, like a uh, chase scene in like Kingsman two sort of tries to have sure. the same sort of like camera ramping and things like that. Like it's not as successful, but it's like a lot of the shots reminded me of like what he's trying to do in that. Interesting. I gotta, I gotta watch Kingsman two again. Yeah. Kyle and I saw that in theaters and I just, my only real memory of that day really was laughing at the American mage trailer. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I've referenced this already on this on the podcast. An um, American made trailer that famously posits that Tom Cruise is twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it also ends with like, you know, there's always like a jokey stinger after the title. His is just for that one. I think it's him speaking to camera going, now here's where it gets really crazy. <laughs> and yeah, that I is when Kyle it. laughed like that. I fucking lost it. Are you kidding me? That's like a line designed hey. to make me specifically laugh. What, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what theater did you see it at? The one near the Barnes and Noble with the swastika on it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate that Barnes and Noble dog. Someone who likes swastikas lives in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't haven't we already established it was Mike Tyson? They're not. Like that in my head, Cannon, they're not racist. They just like swastikas, and that's all. That also sucks. I think that's a callback to literally our first episode. <laughs> Bill and Ted, welcome back, baby. Um, so a famous, uh, so, or no, sorry. So one th- thread through a lot of the production is that like kind of no one got along. I mean, in terms of like Charlize, Tom. Hardy I heard and, about that uh, and George Miller that there was just this sort of like issue and it came down it seems to communication that despite the storyboards despite the prep once you're in the Namibian, Namibian desert it was hard for Miller to really like communicate what he needed to do because so much of everything it really is the actors even on moving cars with Tom Hardy like dangling off the edge of a car it's him welcome back you to know, moving cars with like Tom Hardy an hour Right. Is it's just like I think that it was sort of George would go like I need you to grab the gun like this. I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta talk to everybody else. And there was this just disconnect and it's a hundred degrees and it's hot and you're like, is any of this cutting together? I have no idea if we're making a movie here. Um so Tom Hardy at a festival after seeing the completed film, because I think everybody made up after they saw what George was doing. So here is something George uh, or Tom Hardy said in part to George at a promotional event for the film. I owe George an apology for being so myopic. That was my first thought. The most frustrating thing for me, or the hardest part of filming, was trying to know what George wanted me to do at any given moment uh, on a minute-by-minute basis so I could fully execute his vision. But because he was orchestrating such a huge vehicle literally in so many departments, and because his signature is on every single detail, and because all of the parts in the vehicle are just moving, there's just motion. I have to apologize to you, George, because I got frustrated, and there is no way that George could have explained that he, what he conceived in the sand while we were out there filming. And because of the due diligence that was required to make everything safe and to make everything that was incredibly complex simple, uh, which is what I saw, which is a relentless barrage of complexities simplified in a fairly linear story. I knew Miller was brilliant, but I didn't know how brilliant until I saw it. I wow. think uh, Tom Hardy is an actor. Like he's an actor. Like he needs a director to be like, "Hey, man, you do all this character work, but this is what I need of you." You know, and he needs it. Uh, he needs it constantly. He needs a babysitter. And I feel like Fury Road taught him that maybe he could trust himself more and the director less, and maybe do something else. And that's how you end up with your venoms. You know, or he's like, he's like, maybe they're right in the end. I'll just let it, uh, I'll just let it do it instead of like, uh, being like, Hey, be on me 24 seven, you know? Cause it's, his movies get objectively worse after this. And maybe it's, 
he learns something but not the right way well to reference like daddy soderbergh because we're back baby is that like when he when they were making oceans 11 soderbergh i guess went to clooney and was like this movie is so fucking complicated i i'm shooting and editing this thing I'm so focused on how everything visually connects, I might not have time for all 11 of you. So I need you, Clooney, to like wrangle the gang and like half direct them for me. Like I need you to make sure everyone's good because I can't come back to you all to take the temperature. And I think that there was just something missing that, that you can't do that out in the Namibia desert when basically the entire shoot is a second unit shoot. You know, it, it, it's it's there is just no time to sit down and talk to Hardy about like what we're doing today. It's like you got the storyboards four years ago. You should know what we're doing today. Hurry. We got to make this. And I have to go make sure you don't die doing this. I'm going to focus on that instead of you and trust you. Yeah, to execute. Well, I mean, it sounds like he was pretty obsessed with the safety because that's even something Hardy mentioned was like, it sounds like he was like almost jealous that the safety was getting more time than the actors in mm -hmm. the moment. You know what I mean? But like, he notably okay, said we've that been alive. We've been raking up fucking nets for the last eight hours and I can't get five minutes with this fucking guy. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, like I get that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I get that frustration too. But at the same time, like I think, yeah, once he saw the result and was like, holy shit, he did all of this without hurting any of us. That's crazy, yeah, and dog. It looks, and it looks like, like I'm giving a performance. He did care. So this movie was also edited by... Um, I had the name. Hold up. So this film was edited by George Miller's wife, Margaret Sixel, who had never edited an action film, which is exactly why she was hired to do it, because he wanted it to be cut like no other action film. So basically, this thing has been shot, designed, shot, and now is being edited by people who just like typically aren't doing this kind of thing. Um, this is so so well edited too. Sixel like, so had, well cut. Well, Sixel had four hundred and eighty hours of footage, which took three months just to watch. The film Jeez. contains twenty seven hundred about twenty seven hundred cuts, um, and really interestingly, and I think it's super obvious in that first uh, foot chase at the beginning, but it's you can see it throughout. Is that less than half of this movie is running at twenty four frames a second? Most of the film is either slowed down or sped up to match what he needs for the film. So every single shot is being manipulated down to like the frame rate. Um, giving it like this like jerky feel. Like that first scene where it's like he's running through the caves is so... Mm. I think that's where he's doing a lot of like huge speed ramping. Oh, Kyle, to, your, to what you were kind of hypothesizing, the extensive effects work included altering lighting and time of day, weather effects, terrain replacement, and plate composition. So a lot of like the sort of yeah. cleanup around the frame where like incredibly... And that's what well, it's saying. like that like, storm yeah, wasn't real. Feel cohesive. You know? Like, it's yeah, well, sure. and, that, and that's what I'm saying of like, he, it, the whole thing's in a desert, but there's four different distinct kinds of hellish deserts yeah. that you don't want to be in. And each one has a really distinct look that has to be cohesively done with extensive CGI that is like not big CGI. Like none of the cars are fake, but like, right. yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? Which is why like the cars look so good and the effects are so invisible that it allows like the cars to really pop and like you never it's like a Fincher movie where the VFX are actually off in the background out of focus 
you know, so it's like similar where you're well, just not looking at the visual. You're just not noticing them because the practicals in the shots are so arresting. Uh, one last piece of, absolutely. again, the crew on this movie clearly just got so fucking into this. And I will read a quick thing from sound designer Mark uh, Mangini, I think is his name. So he says, <clears throat> Australian. At the end of the movie, they're shooting harpoons at the war rig. We already have the visual metaphors to support, to support a Moby Dick allegory. Every time it was struck with a harpoon, you hear these deep whale-like groans to say that it's being hurt and wounded. It's not the sound of metal into metal. When the harpoons do pierce the war rig and the milk sprays out, we use the sounds of whale blowholes. At the end of the film, when Nux throws the war rig into a T-bone, we go into a beautiful ballet-like slow-motion sequence. All those sounds, there are no realistic sounds there. Those are all whale sounds, and actually slowed down bear sounds. What we wanted was to say to the audience, this is a death. This is the death of the great white whale. All you hear as it rolls over in slow motion is the final death rattle of a dying creature. Damn. How the fuck are you getting these sound, this sound library? So he downloaded the dying whale breathing sand library, eh? <laughs> like, That's in the new what? motion array ad is what? like... You can now get dying whales. Well, that, that that's probably just like um, I was going through George's whole drive and he had all these sounds for uh, for happy feet and um, oh, and, 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 distorted happy feet sound design. Yes. If you so listen, George, close, George, of course, owns a bear, so we brought the bear in. If you, if you if you if you if you turn the volume up when Nox is showing his mumps, you can also hear someone saying, "Don't." Push me, cause I'm close to the edge. <laughs> it's from Happy Feet. It was um, it's actually from Happy Feet. It was interesting. Again, it's slowed down tip dancing. <laughs> like thinking about like the Moby Dick thing and like uh like the whale sounds made me think like how on water like water world style this works is just like a good pirate movie at the same time you know yeah. even like it's the harpoons and like oh, the way they sure. fight it's like uh, everything about it is like this whole movie could have been on water and it's the same movie yeah 100 percent. if you fall on the ground you're pretty much dead you know like, yeah, yeah you're done so well that's like why when nux stands up you know there's that brief moment after the sandstorm where i saw this in theaters twice um and both times after the sandstorm like cuts to black there's this like the whole theater just goes like oh like it's such this like ride and so it mm -hmm. opens on nux waking up and like the first thing he thinks is like which vehicle do i run to like there's no just wandering around in this universe yeah you know. so in 2015 the film comes out and as you guys know or have heard and maybe now agree with, it's considered one of the best action films ever made, one of the best movies ever made. Like, it's this unbelievable. Like, it's a slam dunk. Oh, my God. It's a slam dunk, but it's also a, a he was right. It's a it's a validation of all the work. Um, it's an face to God in the best also, way. Like, it's it's, it's <laughs> like it's like, like Jesus wept. This God. Yeah. This Jesus wept is a false God. God is a, a false prophet. God is a superstition. God is a woman. Um, no, God I'll make you believe God is Furiosa. a woman. <laughs> yeah, Furiosa. This film she is rips. what a feminist looks like. 
Dude, um, she is so badass. Like, she's so good with a sniper rifle. Well, wait till we unarmed wait, sniper wait queen. till I get you some news about the future of this universe. Um, so in 2015, what also comes out is what's called the Black and Chrome edition, which is just a black and white version, which Miller claims is sort of his favorite uh, version of the movie. Now, I, that's that's it? one thing. That's one thing I always knew is that he had wanted. To yeah. release the movie in black and white, and they kind of like I had always heard wouldn't let him. Well, like, well, no fucking way is that going to be the official yeah. release of it. But eventually, I think it like wins enough Oscars, and they do a, a black and white re-release. Now, I actually saw the black and white movie in theaters at the ArcLight in L.A. Oh, that's cool. Um, How was and that? My big can't do that again. One about the movie is that right. One about the movie is that it the only thing i get out of it is that it just makes the the characters look dirtier which is a great you just the the smudges are so much yeah, more they're darker yeah. but you fucking miss the colors like you really do my other memory of this is that as i was getting concessions i turned around and saw mixter max landis going in to see moonlight mm. so this is also relevant <laughs> <laughs> max yeah, landis Rainbow saw hair. moonlight <laughs> Max Landis saw Moonlight. Breaking news. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I've confirmed. Could have fooled me to see that movie. <laughs> so this movie goes on to win the Academy Awards for Best Film Editing, Best Production Design, Best Costume, Best Hair and Makeup, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Sound Editing. It was also nominated for Best Picture and Director. Uh, and just was like the story of that night. I forget who won. Like... Because uh, I don't think I don't think it was Moonlight. I think that came out the next year, um, or no, that came out maybe two years ago. Maybe this was a late re-release that I saw. But yeah, it it swept the sort of technical Oscars as many films do. Um, but it was also like there was a narrative of this could win Best Picture because um, it it's just one of the, it, it's one of the coolest sweeps and nominations and sort of seasons ever. My, I, honestly, the all of the Oscars has become a blur ever since what's his name just went up and talked about like cows, cow milk. Oh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Joaquin, yeah. After Joaquin talked about titty milk for like Dude. five minutes, oh, did Joaquin all of the Oscars, all of the Oscars has become a fucking. <laughs> Yo, I, honestly, all of the Oscars are a blur since Marlon Brando had a Native American woman come and deny his Oscar. Who wasn't <laughs> even a Native American, right? Yeah, it was like... <laughs> I think she was yeah, actually Mexican. double goofed. Yeah, he... Wait, he, what was this? Okay, well, let's jump into this. Batman <laughs> eating pussy and this Native American. So, Marlon Brando was nominated for an Oh, like, won an Oscar, right? Of course. Sure. And instead of accepting it... He had he like sent Sasheen Littlefeather, oh, an American actress, model, and activist for Native American civil rights. Best remembered for okay. representing Marlon Brando in 1973. Uh, this is when he won for The Godfather. Um, okay. So he did what? The favorite to win, Brando boycotted the ceremony in protest of Hollywood's portrayal of Native Americans and to draw attention to the standoff at Wounded Knee. During Yo, her this speech, is based. During Wait, her speech, what? the audience rep response to Brando's boycotting was divided between jeers and applause. We need to get rid of the phrase jeers for the op which means the opposite of cheers. 
Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, um, this is I. I had it's no tight, idea. Right? It's the greatest thing that's ever happened at the Oscars. All right, here's her. Sp- I'll give you her speech, guys. You ready? Yeah. Um, hello, my name is Sashin Littlefeather. I'm a. Should I do an accent? Yeah, Australian. I, I would go Australian <laughs> if you're going to do anything, mate. <laughs> no, I'm Apache, and I am president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. Excuse me, this is during the boos and cheers. And on television in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee, I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. That's sick. And Yo, nothing, big ups to Brando. And redeemed. Pretty much nothing changed in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, of course uh, not, but redemption art. Remember because, the, uh, because then Johnny Depp played Tonto. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah sure. At the press conference, Littlefeather read to journalists the speech that Marlon had prepared. The New York Times published the full text the next day. Um, later that night, before she announced the Best Actress winner, Rachel Welch said, I hope the winner doesn't have a cause. When Clint Eastwood presented the Best Picture Award, he remarked that he was presenting it on behalf of all the cowboys shot in John Ford Westerns over the years. And he said, all right, I'm going to give the Oscar to this chair. This, uh, this one's for all the white, imaginary white guys that we <laughs> created to get hurt by ethnics that we also created. Finally, hey, Michael Caine, the night's co-host, Fuck criticized. You. Dude, Clint, Clint Eastwood can get fucked. Yeah, I beat sure. the shit out of that old fuck, bro. <laughs> yeah. Let me catch Clint Eastwood in the streets. I will. A- I'll close his head in a car door. You kidding me? Yeah, pick up your gun, Grandpa. I'll beat the fuck out of you. I'll make you suck it. I'll make Clint Eastwood suck his own gun after I slap it out of his shaking old fucking knuckles. Beat the shit out of Clint Eastwood and his fucking dumb. He's have some reality show with like a, a fucking newscaster wife and a pig. I beat the shit out of you. I hit you with your pig. I'll pick up your pig, throw it at you, knock you down, make you suck your gun, you old fucking racist fuck. I want to throw him in a dumpster, you little bitch. So moving into sort of a spinoff or prequel territory. The man um, went so hard on Clint Eastwood. Fogged Clint. <laughs> Director of Jersey Boys. Fuck, get fucked, Clint. <laughs> Bitch ass. <laughs> so, a, uh, almost immediately there was talks about that they had so much material that they were able to develop two more scripts. One called Mad Max Furiosa and another called Mad Max The Wasteland. Hell yeah. Later that month, this is in 20, uh, 2015, sorry, um, Miller reaffirmed his intent to continue the franchise after reports on the contrary resurfaced. I think that this is kind of like whenever they would ask a Bond if they're going to do it again during press. It's like, dude, I just did it. The last thing I actually want to do is do it again. But ask me in six months when I can go nap. 
Well, and this is during the Marvel uh, of it all. Sure, yeah. Of like, where they just oh, want more and more and more. They're like, we know you signed on for five movies, so tell me about the five movies right now, Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. So, all of this, it was sort of a kind of, like, similar to this this movie. It was an unspoken, like, yeah, I think they're trying. Um, but, it, you know, uh, Miller's also old i mean how old is uh so oh that man's george old. miller was 70 when he made this um so he's now 76 so he was like 68 when he made this he's now 76 in october of 2020 a spin-off prequel titled furiosa entered advanced developments with miller set to direct anya taylor joy has been cast to portray a young furiosa while Chris Hemsworth and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II will star in unspecified roles. Miller will co-write the screenplay with Nico Lathoris, who... Oh, he wrote Jigsaw. Um, while Miller and Doug Mitchell will produce through their Kennedy-Miller-Mitchell banner. What if Mad Max killed cops? They have announced that the Junkie XL will return to make the music. How great! And Junkie XL was this was back when that was this kind of rare find. I forget his. I think it's like Tom Holkenberger is his real name, but he he does all of um. He did Justice. He's done League. all the Snyder, yeah, the Snyder stuff. Um, really cool guy. Really cool music. Um, I think he did the Amazing Spider-Man Two soundtrack with Hans Zimmer, and they also have announced the release date for Furiosa is June. 23rd 2023 and i think that this is like being shot now i think this is really happening well and then with that like the mandalorian rig they can get a lot more done but again that doesn't yeah. seem like his that doesn't seem like his speed yeah but with covid it's and his like overcorrection for safety and being open an old spaces man, bro you know like open yeah spaces, that's is bro i feel like he you has just like go, just just go man no it's that, that he has this that's what i'm saying is he has the space to do it because everyone's gonna be six feet apart anyway so he has time to get any shot in any angle he needs and that's like perfect for him you know yeah, everyone's I, in cars so it's we have like a stacked cast for a furiosa prequel that is coming out um, in less than two years. Well, and then that's going to be just like uh, like HBO is going to have the Fallout TV show. They're just going to do a whole Wasteland thing, aren't they? Hell yeah. Man, I kind of just want a Furiosa sequel, though. I kind of yeah. want a Furiosa prequel. That's... But, you know, it's that interesting James Cameron thing, right? Where you're like, look, I don't think I want that. But if you're saying I want that, right. I'm going to trust I'll, you. I'll be there. Yeah. Hey, I'll be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it makes me worried that she doesn't have any of these cool friends. He's one of the most proven right filmmakers ever. So go for it. Yeah, he was like, "Hey, what if we make a what if we make a movie about a penguin and his feet are hippie?" Dan Dan Schneider was like, "Go on, (laughs) what's this about?" Now I see this script floating around. What what what's all this? Maybe Nickelodeon makes this. What's all this? I am interested. I do think he'd be a really cool animated director as well. Like, I kind he of is. am upset like that he didn't uh, get to direct like a Mad Max animated thing, because I think that'd be really cool. I said what I needed to say with the penguin pictures. <laughs> I, everything I'll need to say in the animated world will be doing in the world of happy feet. I so, think I really did. I really did my Magnum Opus animated, because you can't do that live action. I've tried to get the, the penguins to dance. You can't do it. <laughs> Also, cartoon penguins are much easier to, to hire. Have it, happy me it took 12 years because he spent 10 of them trying to get penguins to dance. Uh, George Miller currently has an upcoming um, 
epic fantasy romance film called 3,000 Years of Longing. A scholar content with life encounters... Uh, oh, I'm not familiar with that word. D-J-I-N-N? A djinn. A djinn. A djinn. Help me out with that. Like an evil genie. Okay. That, <laughs> that, that's, so what in, in like, that's what you call the like race before. of genie. Like, they're called djinn. Yeah. Oh, they're, guys. Uh, they're like the genies that try to lure you into, like, a bad wish. Like, you, you wish guys. for a million bucks and your house is, like, full of dead deer or whatever. So, a scholar content with life encounters a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Their conversation in a hotel room in Istanbul leads to consequences neither would have expected. This stars Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. Dude, I'm so in. Idris Elba is the gym, right? Guys, editor, Margaret Sixel, cinematographer, Uh, John Seal, music by Junkie XL. Dog, I'm so in. This sounds amazing. I'm going to need you to rub this lean. In Istanbul in a motel. That like sounds like a really cool take on Genie. Genie's like haven't been little, done in a while. Yeah, and he's doing like a little like chamber piece between Mad Max movies. I love it. This sounds wow. like a fun little this sounds cool. I, so I, he I, has I made four Mad Maxes, two happy feats, Babe Pig in the City. And classic. now uh, Lore- Lorenzo's Oil, of Witches of Eastwick, and now Three Thousand Years of Longing. Guys, here's a big question. Was was Mad Max Fury Road worth it? Richard. Yeah, uh, 100%. I think it's worth it. I think um, it's one of the things that George Miller in his life, like looking back at everything he's always been signed on for otherwise, that it yep. feels like he's been like, all right, I'll do this, but as long as you fund Mad Max, you know, where it's like, yeah, I'll do Justice League, you know, like I'll I'll get this across the finish line, but in return I get to do Mad Max. You know, this like is far from the last time we're going to talk about George Miller for sure. Yeah, and it's like every time he touches one of these things, like people are still un like the the Snyder fandom that wanted uh, like the Snyderverse to com- uh, be complete. They're all holdovers from people that wanted George Miller to get his Superman movie still, right? You know, and it's like people, they, yeah. they were lobbying for him to have Man of Steel 2, but like the whole time. Restore the Millerverse, man. Yeah. And like I mean, we would have gotten uh, what common as Green Lantern and shit. Adam Brody as goddamn Flash. That's a good time. Right. We'll talk uh, about that in a few chat. But yeah, that uh, hugely Mad Max is worth it mainly just because it just like it's one of those impactful movies in cinema, you know, like it's up there with Matrix for what it did for cinema at this time, you know? Sure. Danny DeVito is Aquaman. <laughs> Holy shit balls. <laughs> hey, is that a Panther of the Deep? <laughs> um, well, Kyle, two questions. Can I what offer you an eel in this trying time? <laughs> My man. Um, so, Kyle, was Mad Max Fury Road worth it? But bigger question, what are we talking about next week? I think you look like you just remembered this question was coming. I didn't. I didn't know it was my. uh, I think it's your turn. Speed Racer was last week, of course. We all remember talking about Speed Racer last week. (laughs) We went Speed Racer. We we mock a go go go. Guys, I do hope everybody enjoyed Go Fast Month. It's strangely Go Fast Month culminates with the release of Fast and Furious Nine. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed it. I haven't seen it yet. I saw Um, it. But um, but yeah, thank you guys for your patience too. Um, and, uh, we're hoping to get back into it. We're, we're ready for, 
we love we love doing it. I love doing it. Um, it's definitely worth it. So let's keep let's keep keeping on demons. Okay, Kyle, I'm what not, are we doing next I'm week? Not, I'm not sure if this is what I had picked out, but I think this works. Uh, next next week we're going into King's Month, right? We're doing King related content. Yes, yes I remember um, this, which we're going to so, try to keep to a month. Yeah, so you had you had one, Richard had one, but my first one, my King related content. Uh, we're gonna dive in to the production hell behind Emperor's New Groove. Oh, well, that's about an emperor, so it's kind of em- we're starting with Emperor's it's King. Month. It's King. Uh, so it's that's rulers. We're doing rulers. Uh, yeah. Well, King is in two of the titles, I think. <laughs> I don't even remember what my King thing. God, we. I don't either. <laughs>